Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My interview today is with retired journalist Irv Cuevas. Even though Irv did not attend UCI, I recently interviewed him for another KUCI segment and liked it so much I thought I would share it with you today. So I hope you like it. Here we go. All right. Hello, KUCI listeners. This is Kevin Bossenmeyer, your host of today's show. My guest is a man with a remarkable resume as a broadcast journalist. In a nutshell, he graduated from the University of Southern Mississippi with an undergraduate degree in journalism and broadcasting, and then went on to have an almost 30-year career at KABC-TV News behind and in front of the camera. At times, he was also a foreign correspondent for NBC News, covering such stories as the El Salvador election during the Reagan administration and served in the U.S. Navy. He has received numerous professional awards and has taught at several local universities, including USC and Cal State Fullerton. Irv Cuevas, welcome. How are you today? Thank you very much, Kevin, for having me here today. It's it's a pleasure to be inside a a radio studio at a university. This is where it all began for me. Great to bring back memories, and we're really looking forward to just exploring your career. First of all, where did you grow up, Irv? On the Gulf Coast of Mississippi, a little town called Bay St. Louis in Hurricane Alley, about 50 miles east of New Orleans. So it's a very small town, but all the way on the Gulf of Mexico. I grew up near the beach, so I'm familiar with the Sandy beaches and seafood dining. So you went through a fair amount of hurricanes? Yes, many of them before we even had names. I experienced hurricanes. We lived a block or so from the beach. This was before we even knew about evacuations. Yeah, really? We just rode them out. But fortunately, they were never serious enough that the house was demolished or we were flooded or anything. Does it seem like with your lifetime of experience that hurricanes are more powerful now, you know, with climate change? Are you cognizant of that? What are your thoughts? They seem to be, although because I've lived out in California now for most of my life since 1978, I'm not as closely connected to hurricanes other than what I hear from family members who still live down on the Gulf Coast. But from what I can see gathering from the news, it does seem like they are more powerful, and perhaps it is climate change. I'm not sure that's what causes it or if it's just a natural order of things, but it does seem to be the case. People always ask me, you know, we live here in Southern California, we have earthquakes, right? They always ask me, would would I rather a hurricane or an earthquake? And I always say I would rather an earthquake because a hurricane sits out in the Gulf of Mexico or in the Atlantic For weeks at a time, you spend days and weeks prepping for something that may or may not happen, specifically where you live, backlogging food, water, fuel. Do you board up your windows? Do you evacuate? Lo and behold, you spend days watching television and spending those days and weeks in anxiety. And if it happens, it can be deadly and very destructive. With an earthquake here in California, they happen out of the blue. They scare you if you're very close to the epicenter. And if not, oh, that's Southern California. Life goes on. Of course, earthquakes, as we all know, can be very, very destructive depending on where the epicenter is. Right, right. Irv, when did you start thinking journalism? When I got to college. My Hmm. first two years of college at Southern Mississippi in Hattiesburg, I came out of high school. I went to an all-boys private school 
I wasn't sure what I wanted to do in college. I'm thinking, well, maybe some sort of business course or marketing. But I started taking all the basic elemental courses in English and history and math, the core requirements, so to speak. And one quarter, we were on the quarter system at the time, I took a course, Introduction to Radio, as an elective. And I thought, wow, I like that. <laughs> Because I started working in a campus radio station like KUCI, and I loved it. I loved the microphone, the turntables, the music. I thought, I think I want to continue in this. However, at the time, due to financial difficulties, I dropped out of college to go into the military. And I joined the Navy, but knowing that I would come back to college and knowing that I would come back to broadcasting. So I did several years active duty in the Navy in the Pacific on an aircraft carrier, came back to college to the same university I was at, resumed my studies in broadcasting, worked at the campus station, and then began working in the community itself at a community station as a rock and roll disc jockey. And as I look back now, I used my middle name at the time. It was Tom. Thomas is my middle name. And I thought, Tom sounded better. Tom Cuevas sounded better as a rock and roll DJ than Irv or Irvin. So I went with that, and I did that for a couple of years, really enjoyed it. But when I got my degree, I decided, because by then I had a journalism degree, and I decided I want to get into the news business, and I wanted to get into television because as part of my last two years of college, we took some television courses at the local TV station, and then... I got attracted to the camera and seeing myself on camera and being uh, inspired by television news. And I said, I want to be a TV news person. And that's, uh, yeah. and that's where it began. Yeah, yeah. And then I began my trek through the minor leagues to get to Los Angeles. You mentioned you were in the military. Where were you stationed on the aircraft carrier? Where we, we were, our home port was San Francisco. Okay. Well, Alameda, right across the bay from San Francisco. But we spent much time in the Pacific, and this was toward the end of the Vietnam War. So we spent much time in the South China Sea, the Gulf of Tonkin, and much, much time at sea as a young sailor. So, you know, I didn't get to see as much of the world as I would have liked to, but I don't regret being in the military. I, I still look back upon it with fond memories, as most of us do when we look back at the past. We tend to remember the fondness and the fun times and maybe forget some of the more negative times that were not that happy. Did you ever set foot in Vietnam? No, no. We we stayed about 50 miles off the coast. I was a radar operator, so I was below decks. The aircraft flew back and forth. We were a floating airport off the coast of Vietnam, and the aircraft flew back and forth to do their bombing missions and came back and forth, and that was our job for weeks and months at a time at sea. Did you ever see combats? No, you, no, no, so, no. Yeah. The only time I would see anybody who had been in Vietnam, sometimes some military Marines or Army veterans who had been in country to get some R&R, it was called Rest and Recreation, bring them out to the ship just to give them a few days away from the the hell holes of uh, of Vietnam and the, and the foxholes and the, and the dangers that they were in so i would get to talk to them about what they went through but they they were they weren't happy with 
their position there, and they couldn't wait to get home. Hmm. When you came back, were you on the GI Bill? Yes. That was one of the reasons I went into the military to come back so my education would would be paid Hmm. for. And then when I came back, I continued while I was still in college working in radio. So between the GI Bill and my pittance of a salary, it wasn't paid that much in those days. As a disc jockey, I was able to support myself and begin my career. Gotcha. If you joined us late, you are listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer, and you are listening to my recent interview with retired KABC TV news journalist Irv Cuevas, talking about how he became a journalist and made his way to the major media market of Los Angeles. Now back to the interview. So you're back in college, and you're studying, you graduate in journalism. Now it's time to get a job. So you're you're working at local stations, is that right? Yes. When did you get, did you feel like there was a break at some point? Like, oh, I I got to the next level. What was the next level for you? (laughs) Ironically, my first television job was based off an audio tape from my radio work. I had no video audition reel. Yeah. So I was hired as a booth announcer at a small television station in Meridian, Mississippi, as a booth announcer. So they were more interested mainly in how you sounded. So I gave them some of my newscasts I had read and and some of the public service announcements I had recorded, and I was hired based on that. So I was a booth announcer back in the day when you would give the the call sign of the station, you would read commercials. And then once a day, though, I did get in front of the camera and rip and read news, basically off-the-wire services, just read the news in front of a slave camera. There was no camera operator. And at noon, I'd read a five-minute newscast. So that was that. And then after I did that for a few months, a friend of mine was a news director in Biloxi, Mississippi. He says, Irv, I want you to come work in our newsroom as a reporter anchor. So I jumped at that chance. Did that for two years. I likened it to professional baseball. You start in the minor leagues, you go to double-A, triple-A, and then you're in the show, the big time. Mm-hmm. So Meridian to Biloxi was a little larger. And then my ego says, okay, Irv, you're ready for more. So let's start applying now for other stations. By then I had a video audition reel. So I started sending that out to news directors in New Orleans, Birmingham, Memphis. I stayed in the Deep South. I was married by then. Montgomery, Alabama, Atlanta, and I almost took a job in Montgomery, but Atlanta came through, and I said, okay, so I jumped from Biloxi to Atlanta, which is a pretty big job. Atlanta, at the time, was probably in the top 10 markets. I think it might be in the top five now. I'm not sure. It was the top station in town, and I was a reporter and an anchor. I did primarily weekend anchoring and or noon news anchoring plus a street reporter yeah. and covered the state capitol. And... Yeah. Do you remember what the challenges were? To be an anchor, do you recall what kept you on your toes? You had to really be focused because you had news copy to read. You had teleprompter, but you had news copy to read. Things could be changing. You had, it, of course, wearing an earpiece, mm-hmm. and producers and directors are talking in your ear perhaps giving you instructions, perhaps a story is developing, and you have to change the flow. You're reading a story about some parade somewhere, and they're telling you we have to go to a breaking story now in Florida where such and such is happening, and you 
you've got to change gears and still not break up <laughs> on the air and act all flustered. <laughs> so it's uh, it takes a special talent, special skills, special desires to do that, and not everyone can do it, and that's okay. Everybody's different. There are plenty of positions, and in my teaching at universities here in SoCal, I would always stress to students that, you know, being the, the pretty face on TV is not the only job. There are many jobs behind the camera that are just as important, the writing, the editing, the producing, being the photographers, and some of those jobs can make as much or more as some of the on-the-air jobs, depending right? how much overtime you make, especially gotcha. for photographers. How long were you in, uh, did you say Atlanta? Was it, I was in Atlanta for seven years. Oh, okay. And here's where something, I took a, you come to a fork in the road and you take it. I took a fork in the road. I thought that I wanted to try public relations because my minor in college was public relations. There was an opportunity in Atlanta to be a public relations manager for United Airlines. The person in the job at the time had been an anchor at WSB-TV where I worked as a street reporter and a substitute and weekend anchor. I used to see the trips he took on United, flying first class, going to all these nice – and I thought, that's a nice job. <laughs> so here comes this fork in the road, and Irv took it. Yeah. And I took the job with United, and I enjoyed it. To a certain extent, but I still miss television. And that's how I got to California. United promoted me from Atlanta to Los Angeles because of my broadcast background. They wanted someone in this major broadcast print market yeah. who knew how to deal with broadcasters and print people. So when you came to Los Angeles for United, were you the lead I was PR the, guy? For yes, United? I was the public relations wow. manager for L.A., Arizona, Nevada. Yeah. From Fresno to San Diego, basically, over to Phoenix, that area. So, yes, I did get out of broadcasting for a while, thinking yeah. that maybe there's another avenue I want to pursue in my life, and I tried it. Mm -hmm. Where were you stationed? Was it at LAX? or where No, we, down t I had my, yeah. my office was downtown, and the, right next to the Bonaventure Hotel, you know, oh, the okay. circular hotel downtown. Yeah. I covered the southwest region of the United States, mm -hmm. promoting and publicizing what mm -hmm. United did, and, and having been in broadcasting... I knew how to craft right. a story right. and pitch it to assignment editors and producers yeah. about maybe some mundane story about new food service on a United flight to Hawaii, say. Right. And, okay, let's get these people. We'll invite them to come to the flight kitchen and film the chef preparing the instead of just a basic news. Right, so a new angle on a story. You heard the story, but you had a new angle. Yes, but that didn't, okay, that didn't last. Yeah. There was a thing called deregulation, which you remember probably the, that Reagan, in the 80s. That the Reagan? Reagan, I think. Yeah, yeah. So the airlines deregulated. And what, and what did that mean? That mean that they centralized a lot of the jobs. So in PR, we used to say, last to know, first to go. <laughs> so United had public relations regional offices all over the country, L.A., yeah. Denver, San Francisco, Chicago, New York, Atlanta, Cleveland. Yeah. So they centralized all of them to Chicago. I only had five years seniority with the airline. That wasn't good enough. Herb, sorry, uh, we just you can apply for other jobs within the company. And other jobs within the company at that level of pay scale and 
executive level, you could apply to be a ramp service manager at Newark Airport. And I thought, (laughs) or baggage service manager at Phoenix. And I thought, that's not me. (laughs) So that's when I went back into television. I took the the, the four, another four came up, and that's when I went to NBC News. Okay. Because as my as a PR person, part of my job was to nurture relationship with all the media in L.A. Mm-hmm. And I got to know the bureau chief for NBC, the news directors at the local TV stations. So I was hired as a field producer correspondent for NBC. And once again, that was a freelance job. That lasted a couple of years. And they cut back. And then I knew the news director, Channel 7. I got hired by them. And then that's where I stayed until I retired. For a long time. So when did you go to KABC? 1982. And took a buyout in 2009. So that's 10 years ago. So when you were a news correspondent for NBC News, I see on some YouTube videos you went to El Salvador covering the election. I think there was a civil war going on at the time. Was that your most active duty assignment? I mean, I saw that there was a helicopter firing bullets your way. Was that probably the most dangerous assignment you ever had? No doubt about it. As I said in my report, fortunately, no one was killed or injured. We never found out. I mean, it was reported to the government. We had it on tape. It was on the NBC Nightly News at night. We had the tail number of the chopper. It was a U.S.-supplied helicopter to the local Salvadoran military. Now, we don't know if they were playing with us. Let's just see how close we can come to those guys on that road down there. Or were they trying to kill us and the gunner wasn't accurate enough? Uh, Or why? Yeah. (laughs) Yes, it was very scary. And on the drive back to San Salvador, the the capital city where we stayed from that shooting incident, it was very, very quiet when all of us, there were four of us on the ground down there in cover. Very quiet because we realized it came close. Wow. (laughs) When you watch the tape, you say they're shooting at us, but I didn't get the sobriety of the moment. We had to edit down the video quite a bit to make air. The actual raw tape, when you play the entire raw tape, you can hear Oh, you wow. Bullets going by, and we could see and hear them hitting the, it was a dirt gravel yeah dirt, right clay road so you see and you hear can them. see them hitting we jumped into a ditch yeah. off the side of the road and i can remember thinking i hope that the edge of that ditch is, is strong enough or deep right enough to stop both right <laughs> my god so you come to kbc in 1982 are you both behind the the camera and in front of the camera primarily behind the camera until there were times like with earthquakes came i was hired as an assignment editor what's that all about can you describe that First, in the Riverside Bureau, we had bureaus in Riverside and Orange County. An assignment editor is the person who keeps track of all the news in your region. UCI is having a big speaker here. We know about it. In Santa Ana, there's something going on. There are 15, 20 events every day, whatever. The assignment editor looks at all of those and decides, okay, realistically, logistically, geographically, we can probably get these three or four stories covered in time to make the 4 o'clock news. Mm-hmm. So we pick and choose, mm-hmm. make some editorial judgments. This seems to have a lot more impact on more people, more interest, perhaps might keep the eyeballs tuned to the station mm-hmm. more so than something else. Mm-hmm. So we go with that. 
and you coordinate with the home office, which is in used to be in Hollywood, and that's in Burbank. And these are the stories we plan. Now, the, the bureaus, we had one reporter and two camera crews in Riverside. In Orange County, we had three reporters, three camera crews. It was almost like a small news department. Mm-hmm. So there were plenty of stories. In, Orange County has plenty of news in it. Mm-hmm. So we would cover a number of different stories, some of them edited in the bureau in Anaheim and fed up to Hollywood. Or, or once we got the minicam trucks, fed directly from the truck to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember in, in the mid-'90s, I forget which earthquake it was, I was pressed into service to cover the, the earthquake. I went out to Disneyland because I was on duty at the bureau, and they knew I'd been on the airway. Hey, I'd had on-air experience. You go out to Disneyland, and you'll be our reporter there. So there were occasions like that, but primarily my function was behind the scenes as an assignment editor, a producer of newscasts, which is the one who collates all the information and puts it together in a a flow chart and fills the exact number of news time you have, gets it put on the air working with the directors and the anchors, mm. sometimes with mudslides and, and uh, earthquakes and brush fires that be pressed into service for some, some reporting or some voice work. Maybe I'd be on the scene just on the phone reporting something. Yeah. Here's just a quick time out in the interview to remind you that you are listening to UCI Conversations with Kevin Bossenmeyer, and my guest today is longtime KABC-TV news journalist Irv Cuevas, talking about his career in front of and behind the camera. Now we discuss the biggest stories of his career. What were the one or two biggest stories, do you recall, when you were at KABC? Yes, the O.J. Simpson trial Mm. and how that went on for, I don't know how long it went on, for weeks and weeks. Uh, I can remember where I was when the verdict came down. I was was in the newsroom. We were still in Hollywood in Los Feliz in that area. 9-11, of course, I can remember in our studios in Burbank and looking TV studios Newsrooms have monitors all over the place, monitoring every station to see what the competition is doing. Mm -hmm. And when we first saw the fire from the the tower, our time, it was like, I don't know, 6 o'clock in the morning, whatever it was, because it was three hours. We first thought, oh, it's a high-rise fire in New York. But still, that was a legitimate story. We we started covering it because it's a high-rise fire that that has Mm -hmm. appeal. And then before you know it, we hear about a plane, and we say, well, how could a plane fly into that building in broad daylight? Mm-hmm. And then you're watching, and then you see the other plane come right. in, right. and then you realize, wow, this is more. Right. And then that turned into uh, just hours and hours of constant coverage then. Right, right. When you're pulling on all your resources from affiliates back in New York, uh, we're sending reporters out locally to the airport here because – Flights were canceled and Mm -hmm. passengers stranded and uh, just getting reactions. Yes. Are there any memories of some of the on-camera people that you worked with that some of our listeners might recall? Were you working directly with some of the on-camera personnel or not as much? Not as much. I mean, I knew and worked with like the Dallas Ranges and Mark Brown, Mm -hmm. 
Michelle Tuzzi. They're still on it. Right. David Ono, mm-hmm. Alan Leva. I mean, I worked very closely with them in writing and producing stories with and for them. And then, of course, when I did the earthquake reports from Anaheim, I don't know which anchor would toss it to me. Harold Green, that goes back a few years. Yes. Ted Dawson, the sports guys, uh, Fukasaki. Just it's Stu Nahan, right? Is yeah. He, was, he, was he in your time? He, you? Yep. Stu okay. Nahan was there. He worked at all the state. Jerry Dunphy, Christine was, Lund. When I started at Channel 7, Jerry Dunphy and Christine Lund were the anchors. And, uh, you know, we weren't close personal friends, but, you know, you, yeah. you, you, you hello and how's it going type conversation. But it, it was just a, a family atmosphere, and uh, it's a group team effort. You know, you're working with many different personalities. Some are more pleasant than others, and just like any workplace environment. How about professional heroes? Who did you look up to in the day that you wanted to emulate? I really like Peter Jennings at ABC News. Uh-huh. Of course, Walter Cronkite. That's going back a while. Mike Wallace. See, I, I'm back in the day now, way mm. back in the day. And today I'm trying to think of the anchors of the Alphabet Networks, I call them, right. ABC, CBS, NBC. Right. The anchors of their newscast, I'm not even sure who they are. It's interesting you should say that because I was just watching ABC National News the other day, and I recognized the anchor, mm-hmm. but I couldn't tell you his name. The way the media has shifted and the way we get our news now is uh, so different. And there's so many. So many, So right. many now. And right. I think that has a lot to do with the beginning of and the spread of cable television, you know, the 24-7 news coverage. Because each cable now, I mean, I don't know how many news cables we have, five or six. I mean, Fox and CNN are probably, the, and MSNBC are probably the three largest. But you've got OAN and, and some of these others that not have near, don't have near the ratings as, as the big three have. But still, they have so many people moving in and out of the camera after a while you forget who's who's a newscaster and who's an opinion right person right because some of these are more opinion driven than news driven i still believe though all the cables when a hard news story breaks when hurricanes earthquakes brush fires i think then we really get back to basic journalism who what when where and why and we put aside agendas and, and opinions. But then when when the fire's out, the earthquake has settled down and the mudslides are over, then I think we get back into more, I call it agenda-driven presentations, agenda-driven reporting, more personal beliefs being injected into reporting and reactions to stories. And I don't want to come across as like some old fuddy-duddy that was better when I was when I started out but I do remember learning and a story producers and news directors required that we had both sides of a story so if I interviewed you and you had X angle I had to go interview him or her who had Y angle and and, and just okay this is the opposite viewpoint mm-hmm. and I don't think we see that as much anymore mm. so I'm not sure what has led to that and what it all forebodes mm. and then with social media now that has really exploded right. as a source of content for stations to put on uncorroborated social media postings I mean I can post anything you can post anything and right. 
it's like a rumor, but it can become like the main thrust of a story. And then maybe the next day or two days later, you found out it was false, but it's never corrected. Or if it is, it's vaguely mentioned or it's buried deep down into the newspaper. Right. How about Watergate and the impeachment? Did you? Yes, I remember that. Cover that. That was that, that was in the seventies, right? Right, right, mid seventies. I was at WSB Atlanta then, so I was a reporter anchor then. So that was more of a. In my case, it was more just regurgitating information that was coming out of D.C. and the reports. I did some people on the. We used to call a man on the street. You can't do that anymore. We people on the street interviews. What's your opinion of this? And you get if you had six sound bites, you try and have three with three pros and three cons. Mm-hmm. That was basically my extent of covering Watergate, just mm-hmm. what came out of D.C. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a lot of local coverage. I'm not even sure there were any uh, Georgia Congress people or senators who were at the forefront of that. I did cover President Carter's when he was nominated at Madison Square Garden. Okay. That was my uh, my swan song at WSB Television in Atlanta, my last big story. Wow. And I covered him as governor when he was governor of Georgia. Okay. And that was very interesting. So you did some interviews with him? Oh, yes. I, you know, at the time on a first name, I didn't call him Jimmy, but he called me Irv. <laughs> right, right, right. Because so, when I went into television, I went back to Irv. I didn't keep Tom. Gotcha. And you must have been amazed that, wow, th- here's a this gentleman I used to interview fairly frequently is now the president, president of, of the United, United States. States of America. Was that one of your professional highlights? Do you, do you have any particular memories of professional highlights? Well, one, pertaining to, to President Carter, just walking through Atlanta airport after he was elected president and he recognized he was with his wife, Rosalind or Rosalind. I'm not sure exactly how she pronounces it. Hi, Irv. Hello, Mr. President. <laughs> wow. So, you know, little things like that are, are professional highlights. Yeah. Civil rights movements, just being yeah. part of that in Georgia, covering the Black Panther movement, Students for Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC, I think it was called, SCLC, NAACP, protest marches, though, in rural Georgia. Mm-hmm. I can still remember some of my narration as I'd walk along with the protesters. I mean, till this day, sometimes I, I go into a room and don't know what I went in the room for. But here today, I can remember, for yeah. these protesters, they say they are the oppressed facing the oppressors. Irv Cuevas, WSB News, near Macon, Georgia. That's what I said. Yeah. So, I mean... So it truly had an impact an on you. Impact the, the, on these were moments that had impacts. I am learning something here that if I didn't have this job, I wouldn't be exposed to this. Do you find that, would you say you were changed because of it? Changed in social beliefs because I worked in and around a lot of social genders, civil rights beliefs and activities, political beliefs and activities. So I think I've become more open-minded over the years. I mean, I still have my, I can still have personal beliefs, spiritual and ethical and political leanings. But I feel because of having been in broadcasting and in the media, 
I'm more accepting of others and more open to them and not being like in a derogatory fashion. Mm-hmm. Hello, UCI Conversation listeners. This is your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer, rounding the corner and heading for home with my interview of Irv Cuevas, who is a retired journalist with KABC-TV News, talking about his career and how he channeled his way through life. Now we move into a landmark moment. Irv, do you have in your life uh, what you consider a landmark moment that you could share? Like, boy, this event happened for me, and it I was on this road, and it just solidified that that's where I was going, or... This moment happened, and it was a fork in the road, and you took an, a different direction. A- have we already talked about those things for you? When I was in the Navy in San Francisco, I would listen to KYA Radio, a disc jockey known as Johnny Holiday, the Baron of the Bay, he called himself. And when we were in port in San Francisco, I would listen to that, and I would think, that's what I want to do. I want to get into radio and TV. So I think that was my my landmark decision, that I really cemented my belief as to what I wanted to do. Because heretofore, I wasn't too sure which direction I wanted to go. But after hearing that and listening to that, I thought, and so I made it a, a, a conscious decision when my Navy days were over, I am going back to college. I am going back to get back into broadcasting, and I will see where it will take me because I really liked it. And over the years, I've nurtured a uh, Facebook and email relationship with Johnny Holiday, <laughs> <laughs> who now is in Maryland. He got out. He's no longer a disc jockey. Uh, he does play-by-play for Maryland football and basketball. So he's still around the business, but he's not a rock and roll DJ anymore. But we both say that some of the most fun we had was spinning records and and, and talking about music and and just being sometimes silly on the air uh-huh. and, and working just you and the microphone and the records and the turntables and and the control board and playing commercials and, and just uh, being an independent source of, of entertainment. Mm-hmm. How about professional challenges? In your work, I would imagine that there were highs and that there were lows. You know, what were some of the challenges in your career? Some of the main ones had to do with just some of the pressures and the anxieties that, that can come with working against the clock. The news comes on at 4 o'clock or 11 p.m. or whenever. Not 11.05 or 11.10. You are in constant pressure to finish writing your story, to finish editing your story, to finish reporting your story. You know, you have to be ready. You you can't call in and say, unless it's some major major problem. Look, we've lost our audio feed. We can't do it. Okay. You, You can't say, well, not quite ready. No. You're hired to be a reporter or writer. You do your job. So the anxiety and the pressures, I think. I don't miss that. Competition. You're, 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 you're in competition with a number of other people. You're competing for airtime with, with other 
writers, other reporters. At the same station. Yeah. 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 And it's not a, it doesn't have to be an openly cutthroat competition, mm-hmm. but it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to say you're only as good as your last story. Mm-hmm. Okay, what, what, what are you going to do for us today? Mm-hmm. That was a nice story you did yesterday, but now it's Wednesday now. It's Thursday. What, what about today? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll never forget uh, Ben Bradley on 60 Minutes was talking about uh, the Washington Post and how really their stories and after, you know, covering that and which resulted in the resignation of President Nixon. And they asked him, you know, what did that feel like? And because of the nature of the business, it's like it was it was super big. And then the next day we had another newspaper to put out. So we just right. moved on. What's the headline for the next day? Right? Yeah. Yeah. And ratings, of course, you know, you're constantly dealing in ratings. And then, of course, like I said earlier, we have the monitors of all the other stations. And if 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 a news director sees another reporter from another station who did the same story you did and they see something in that report that triggers them and, you know, why didn't why didn't you get that interview? Why didn't you get that shot of that whatever? Well, I... (laughs) (laughs) So there's that, the scrutiny that you're under. And the public, you know, the public decides that, you know, that you're just a a click away from being turned off to another channel. Which is, it's every year that goes by that's more... Acute, you right? <laughs> I mean, when we started, you'd have to get yeah. up and go right. to walk to the TV and switch it. <laughs> right. You had remotes. Right. Now you right. have computers. That right. It's right. just people surfing. <laughs> so, how about uh, do you have a story that you're most proud of? Yes. At WSB Atlanta, we did a Teacher of the Year program, and I did a 30 minute feature on the Teacher of the Year in Georgia. And I had a terrific photographer that I worked with, an audio technician. And from A to Z, we did the story, starting from her childhood and one-room schools and sunrises and sunsets and beautiful narration and beautiful music to it. And I really felt very, very good about that. Uh, I did a number of reports called Que Pasa Atlanta. I'm Hispanic by heritage, uh, and we did a, a three-part series on the influx of Hispanics coming into Atlanta and the jobs they were doing and the education efforts they were making. So I was very proud of that, that I exposed that maybe to our audience that perhaps they weren't aware of. Mm-hmm. So stories like that jump out. Uh, I mean covering uh, politics with Jimmy Carter, President Carter, and Governor Carter. You remember what hippies were, right? <laughs> yes. Covering uh, hippie riots and, and those, just being proud of that, that the dangers of television news still exist. If you're on one side, you might be subjected to, say, the tear gas that's fired by the military or the police. Mm-hmm. And then to get the other side of the story... 
you're subjected perhaps to Molotov cocktails or rocks and bottles. Mm -hmm. So there's the safety element involved, and uh, there is a there is a danger even today in in, in journalism. Mm -hmm. It's obvious. Mm -hmm. How about biggest flub? Do you have, do you have a memory of that? <laughs> You're on the air live yes, or whatever. Yes, yes. Um, anchoring the news, Delta Airlines had an aircraft, the L-1011, L-1011. Good morning, everyone. Uh, here's the latest news from uh, Channel 2. A Delta Airlines L-011 uh, has been diverted to uh, Birmingham from uh, from from Atlanta toward Birmingham because of some mechanical problem. We'll keep you posted on the details as we get them. I get off the air and I get on the phone. Irv, it's an L ten eleven, and see Delta that that's the hometown of right, Delta. Right, And for me to go on the air and I mean I had no idea. L O, I, I just thought L one O one one, not the L ten eleven. Little things like that. Uh, how to pronounce uh, uh, Shanghai Shack, Seoul or Seoul, Korea, uh, in radio. El Segundo or El Segundo. Mm -hmm. Things like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's more. Pronunciation issues, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, I was never caught, to my knowledge, on camera, you know, chewing gum or, or uh, making odd gestures with my hand or something when I didn't think I was on the air. <laughs> yeah, yeah, picking your nose. <laughs> right. I, I I let you say that. Um, so fortunately, that and that's another thing you, you always have to remember: pretend your mic. Always remember your live. Your mic is live. Yeah. And and even though, even though you're you're standing on the scene waiting to go live, the camera is on you, and they can see you back at the station. Right. And someone could hit the wrong button, and you could be picked up picking right. your nose. Right. And uh, always be cognizant of that. So that was something that was drilled into my head, and I think, for the most part, I lived with it pretty well. Excellent. Irv, now that you've moved on beyond, retired from broadcast journalism, tell us about what you're doing now. Well, I can say that my career is pretty much in my rearview mirror, other than what I reminisce like this and, and, and look back in, in fond memories. I'm in several organizations. One is the Navy League of the United States, which is a like a lobbying arm, a support group of the military. I'm in the Knights of Columbus at my church. I'm active in my church. I'm in some social organizations, some, some groups I belong to. I'm on the board of directors of the Navy League of Newport Beach, and I'm on the board of directors of the Notre Dame Club of Orange County as a friend of the university. And in my position in, in, as board members of those organizations, I am the media person because of my experience. So I write the releases and I try and publicize the charity events that we do and, uh, you know, e expand the brand name of the various organizations. And then I'm a grandfather, so I, 
I travel back and forth to Georgia and see my grandkids. And uh, so I, I look upon myself, and, and I do some freelance uh, video editing, uh, primarily events, volunteer events that I I participate in and our family events. I want to preserve, I want video preservation of family events, brothers, sisters, children, because I have none of that in my own background. Mm-hmm. And I, when, when I'm gone and when others are gone, I want them to be able to say, oh, here's video of such and such. We mm-hmm. have it. So I, I, and that's, that's like a hobby, uh, that I do. And, uh, it's, it's how I, I consider using all the skills that I learned in broadcast news and print journalism, because I, I worked for a, w- a weekly newspaper one summer, all that experience, putting it to use now in a different a different format, mm-hmm. you know, with computers now. And I, I shoot everything on my iPhone. Right. I have a microphone wow. hooked up to my phone, edit on Apple iMovie, put music to it, and it's it's fantastic. I mean... The, the the way the, the technology has changed over the years. Right, right. Herb, how about in just as we come to the end of our time together, do you have any recommendations or uh, comments to journalism students here at UCI or at other learning institutions? I would suggest stay abreast of what's happening in your world. Know where Syria is. Know what's happening in Washington. Be open-minded. Be objective. Be fair. Present both sides of a story. Keep your personal beliefs and agendas to yourself. Unless you're an editorial writer or an opinion presenter, but if you're a news reporter per se, present the news. Who, what, when, where, and why. And how. Irv Cuevas. Thank you very much for spending the hour with us. We really appreciate hearing about your life, and we'll carry it with us. Thank you. It has been indeed a pleasure.